and welcome to this week's edition of the People Platform. On it is the 18th of July. It's the summertime. It's nice and sunny outside. So stay tuned for a good show. and welcome to this week's edition of the People Platform. I'm Fiona Stevens, and it's, as I've already said, it's the 18th of July today. Now, in the studio today, I am joined by a Joe, but not the Joe you all know and love. A different Joe. The famous Joe Dodd isn't here today, which is a shame, but she's, um, she's at an FSB event. So hello, everybody that's there, and hope you're all having a lovely time. But I am joined by another Joe. Is it the infamous Joe? I think we said the infamous Joe, didn't we? It's the infamous Joe. The yes, infamous yes. Joe Moffat, yes. who was a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago. So it couldn't have been that bad because you've come back. I know, I've been allowed back. <laughs> and, you have. Uh, yeah, so Joe's jo sent me in her place. So. She has. Well, welcome yeah. and thank you very much for filling in. It's a pleasure. It's good to be here. Thank yes, you for having indeed. me. Yes, no, indeed. It's an absolute joy. Absolute joy. So tell me, what have you been up to? What have you been doing the last wee while since we last saw you? Eating cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular reason why you've been eating cheese? Yes, yes, yes. Um, eating cheese in Borough Market on Saturday. Oh, fabulous. Absolutely well done. fabulous. Yeah. We've never done it before. We went to Neil's Yard Dairy. Oh, yeah. And had a cheesemonger's lunch. Oh. And we got given eight different courses of cheese. Oh, my. British cheeses <laughs> with different accompaniments <laughs> and different wines and craft beer. Oh, lovely. And learned all about where these lovely cheeses came from. And it was fabulous. Excellent. So it was a, it was a Christmas present. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, a bit, it was a bit delayed for obvious yeah, reasons. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but it was fabulous. Was it all British cheeses? Yes. British oh, even cheeses. better. Absolutely. The most fabulous British cheeses. So there were English ones, but Welsh ones. Uh-huh. 
Um, and then there was the final one was called Baron Be God. <laughs> or Baron By God. I don't know how it's pronounced. And it was the most Brie-like, but not quite. You know, uh -huh. it, was, it was a Brie type, but it, yeah. it was just fabulous. So, yeah. yeah, it was all good. All good. Oh, excellent. So I've excellent. been eating a lot of You've cheese. You've been eating a lot of cheese. Yes. Well, yes. I, I can think of worse things to be doing. That's great, actually. <laughs> do you know? It's, I love Borough Market, actually. Yeah. It's, um, it's great. I used to um, hang out at London Bridge quite a lot because when I worked in London, and I lived up there for a wee while, so I used to go to London Bridge because it was a train station that took me home. Yes. And then you would have a wee wander around there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah no, it was lovely. Yeah, it was and and it, was, it was really buzzing. I mean, it was, it was busy, 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 yeah. of course, which was great to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But what I didn't know, that this cheat... So Neil's Yard, they buy all this cheese from all over the place and they store it and mature it not mm -hmm. only in their shops but also in the under the arches under oh, the right. railway arches yeah. between London Bridge and, and, mm -hmm. and on our Kent line yeah. so I'm not quite sure I haven't spotted it yet but I, when I go on the train next I'm going to have to look out for this have because they, that's where they keep it all different levels of temperature I suppose it's a perfect place to do it though isn't it stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes so cheese fabulous cheese mm -hmm. excellent mm -hmm. anything else you've been doing um been speaking Ooh. i've been talking i was at an event the week before last um in london at rmg networks they asked me to talk about employee engagement oh there you are uh, yeah. and millennials uh -huh. um and uh how you go about you know what lessons can you learn in terms of employee engagement and the millennial audience yeah. which uh I'm sure it's a bit is hot topic a very hot topic but ironically one of the things that i was saying is that whilst Millennial, you know, everyone's talking about millennials and what do we mm. do with them and how do we engage them and how do we get them to, uh, to, to sort of respond well to what we want them to do. But, but what's quite interesting is that although the millennials are this massive group and everybody's frantically trying to pigeonhole them and put them into boxes, Indeed. actually one of the biggest characteristics mm. of a millennial is that they don't they actually don't consider themselves <laughs> yeah. to yeah. be millennials. Yeah. So unlike... Mm baby boomers and generation, generation X, X who went before who all kind of thought of themselves mm. as that generation yeah millennials actually don't identify with the term at all mm. they don't want to be so the, the box you put a millennial in is that you don't they don't actually want to be put into boxes which yeah. is kind of quite ironic really. well this it's it's quite a hot topic on LinkedIn as well mm. at the moment so a number of people have actually been saying that this is ridiculous don't well actually they, they argue against the whole um, putting people in categorizations like that anyway in terms of like stereotyping and what have you Paul's Paul's desperate to speak but I'm not going to turn his mic on no, I'm not going to turn his mic on because <laughs> I think there is a there, there is, the, the point is though we, we it's very easy to sort of say don't put us all into boxes mm. because of course we're all very very different and but and this is kind of what we're perhaps going to be talking about during the show today marketeers will always segment and profile do, yeah. that's what you do you know you, you segment and profile so that you can better target yeah. people mm. with communications and information and messages that actually they're going to want to respond to so it's not about bombarding it's not about forcing things you know, forcing messages at people but if you segment and profile all it really means is that you are better understanding perhaps what makes that person yeah. tick and take account of their their needs and yeah, absolutely it's all about insight and understanding it's not about forcing people into boxes but it oh, just no. helps it gives you. it's a high level categorization yeah. that allows you then to drill down yeah. doesn't it and we all want um to be spoken to in a way that we we feel people recognize what's relevant to us yes absolutely you know, we're not going to respond to communication for a i don't know you know a high-end range rover if actually we're in the market for a you know sort of 
a three-wheeler fountain <laughs> or something, or, or Robin Villiers. Yeah, Robin, Robin Do you know there's what, somebody near where I live has got one, and it's the most beaten-up, tatty old, horrible thing that says, I've never actually seen it driving, but I've, it's there, and then it's not, so I don't know what happens to it. But, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's green. It's a horrible colour green. I hate to think how old it is. That's probably mould. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I, I, have a, I have a friend who has a car that's been sitting outside her house for the last 20 years. And it's got grass all over it. So. <laughs> well, I, I parked my car up at the train station and I was away for a couple of days and I came back and inside my windscreen, I had cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says about my car or my cleanliness, but it wasn't there when I left. Well, I just go on the basis of what Quentin Crisp, Crisp always used to say, which was about dust. And his view of dust was that house dust does not get worse after three years. <laughs> So if you just let it build up <laughs> for three years, it will never, ever get any worse. So I think that's a reasonable, reasonable I think I might quote that, actually. By. Yeah, I think I, I could quite get on with that one, actually. So before we get into the show proper, uh, Joel, tell me off for that, because I'm not supposed to say that. She always gives me a look. Does she? I'll she give does. you a look. She gives me a look. I'll give you a look. Oh, yeah, now I've okay. got, a, got a funny look. Um, can you give us the, uh, if people want to contact us or talk to us, can you give us yes, the, um, the Twitter the handle, Twitter please? The Twitter handle, I think, is the technical term yes, for it. Yes, hey. The, hey. The, the technical <laughs> terms of the Twitter handle, yeah, follow us on at platform underscore people. Yes, um, or if you want to email us. Or email us. At hello at thepeopleplatform.co.uk. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and we've got a website as well, www.thepeopleplatform.co.uk. But the, inf the, the famous Jo Dodds doesn't like me giving it out because she said it's a rubbish website. All right. Uh, well, she would know. Well, she's yeah. very good at these but things. But she keeps threatening to, to revamp it and do another one. She hasn't got around to it yet. She just likes to say, you know, it's not very good and therefore... There you go. Twitter, that's where you've got to go. Yeah, Twitter so. Twitter is the place to, to contact us and, and um, discuss or comment on what we are going to be talking about later uh, on. Or, or talk to us about your favourite cheese. Actually, cheese, yeah. Yeah, that would be good. I'm going to have to look at that, actually. That's kind of whet my appetite a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So um, we have a recorded interview um, that the famous Joe Dodds did that we're going to um, play today and then discuss in chunks. Um, now, I think you know a little bit about this, don't you, this well. interview? So can you just give us a little bit of background before we play the first bit, please? I do, I do. So, um, yes, yeah, so this is a, an interview that the famous Joe Dodds did with um, my colleague Charlotte Dahl. Uh, and Charlotte has been um, with Woodread for um, many, many years now. She's, uh, she's really very much, very much sort of the, the team that, that run the thing. Um, so Charlotte is our creative planning director, mm -hmm. and Charlotte did an interview with Joe, um, talking about the challenges that internal communication practitioners can face, yep. um, and what can be done to help address them. And, and really, Charlotte's point um, is very much that there is an awful lot of um, learnings that people that are busy focusing on communicating internally can learn mm -hmm. from their external marketing colleagues. Yeah. And Charlotte really comes at this from quite a, um, or quite a unique perspective. I really shouldn't say that. I'm just going to have to smack, slap my <laughs> hand because we're not allowed to say quite unique. It is completely it's either unique or, or it's, it's not. <laughs> so Charlotte has a unique perspective on this topic because um, although she now works for Woodread and has been at Woodread for nearly 12 years now, um, her background before that was working in um, what I call big, proper 
above the line ad agency. Yes, so absolutely. she worked for the likes of BBH, mm-hmm. um, so uh, you know, the, the, and, and other sort of big global ad agencies. So she worked in external campaigns and working with big brands externally. So she's sort of worked on both sides. Both sides, of the fence. yeah. And, can... um, and that is a unique perspective. Hey, which she brings I like that. I to like the party. that. Okay, well, let's listen to the first piece, and um, and then we'll see what she's got to say. So tell us a, a, a bit about what you see are the, are the similarities and perhaps the differences between uh, the internal and the external communications. Let's start uh, with the similarities, yeah, shall we? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Well, I think the, the biggest similarity is that, of course, you're talking to people. You're trying to influence and you're trying to engage people. And I think internal communicators actually sometimes still tend to forget that people are still people when they walk across the workplace threshold. Um, they still react to the same emotional stimulus. Um, you know, our brains don't switch to rational robot mode the second that, that, that we enter the workplace. And actually, if you, if you just step back for a minute and look at the objectives of external and internal communications, actually you'll see that they're pretty much aligned. Okay, so to start with, brands, brands are ostensibly about making people feel something. Inside organisations, it's been proved that emotional engagement is actually four times more passionate, more powerful than a rational in driving employee behaviour. Great brands are about telling great stories to customers and employees alike. Do you have, have you ever seen um, Mad Men, Joe? Have you ever watched Mad Men? No, heard lots about it, but haven't. So okay. no. But you, carry on. I'm sure most people listening you, have. Yes, no, <laughs> listeners. If you if you haven't, if you haven't ever. Watch Mad Men, I implore you to have a look on YouTube for Don Draper's carousel pitch for Kodak. And in it, he stands there and he tells the most emotive, most extraordinary, most powerful story about his personal his personal life, his personal world um, that relates entirely to what he's trying to pitch for, for for Kodak. It's all about it's all about emotion. And actually, if you think about what you're trying to do internally with employee engagement. It's about strategic narrative, as, as engaged with success call it. Um, and strategic narrative, I think, by any other terms, is 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 about storytelling, isn't it? It's, it's about telling the story of mm-hmm. the brand, where it's come from, and and where it's going, and the, and the and the place that people have to play in order to make that happen. So that I think that's similarity number one. Number two is is vision and purpose. Brands are on a mission externally, increasingly so, to offer purpose and meaning in the lives of customers beyond purely the material. And this has especially been driven by the millennial generation. They're much more inclined to want brands to offer meaning and purpose. And a really good example of that, if you think of um, a massive global organisation like Unilever, uh, they set their stall entirely on a sustainability proposition and if you have a look at their their corporate logo you know it's that U that U shape made up of lots of different yeah. graphics it's mm-hmm. even their logo is a visual expression of that commitment um and if you look at if you kind of pick pick out all the little individual icons it actually fuses the products that help their customers along with symbols of nature so on it it's got bees and birds and waves and fish alongside clothes and hair and ice cream and similarly, inside organisations, try- everyone's trying on a mission to align their employees with vision and purpose. And again, you know, this is where strategic narrative comes, comes into play 
so much kind of looking at, at kind of where where they're going and and where they're, they're where they come from where they're going and, and the part that employees have to play it's very much about connecting um the or the employee audience to the mission of, of the organization i think another similarity is is advocacy and brands drive for customer advocacy i mean it, it's a core metric isn't it and Social media now means that the search for advocates has has gone has gone crazy. I mean, you know, it used to be just sort of relying on word of mouth and people writing the odd review on websites. But nowadays, social media and sharing content and kind of almost brands creating tribes of advocates is, is what's kind of happening in terms of trends on the outside with external comms. And then if you think inside, how key advocacy, employee advocacy is too. And if you think about um, Glassdoor, for example, and how Glassdoor now has brought the world of external and internal advocacy much closer together and kind of used that model of external um, consumer advocacy and, and given employees kind of, you know, a much greater, a much greater voice and, and, and an ability to, to be able to advocate. And then finally, mm -hmm. I think it's about similarities is about the drive for trust and if you think about what the actual the definition of a brand is a promise of what customers can expect and trust inside organizations is is so key and actually i i googled once the amount of um organizations that have trust or to be a trusted organization as a vision statement and it and it kind of ran to two or three pages of, of <laughs> google uh, so kind of, you know, trust inside organizations, driving trust, that kind of two-way trust thing between employees and employers and trust as, as a kind of, as a promise and a relationship between consumers and brands as well. So, so there, I think, is where the similarities are. Wow. That was good, wasn't it? She's good, isn't she? Yeah, she is good. I didn't know that about the Unilever logo. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to look at are it with fish at it? eyes now. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go and have a look at all. I want to see the fish and the birds next Absolutely. to the it's... ice cream and the washing powder yeah. or whatever. Now, what's interesting about that, picking up on that, I went to an event just before Christmas that Unilever um, delivered along with the Advertising Association. Mm -hmm. And the it was about brand, it was called Brand Purpose. Mm -hmm. And it was actually talking about how brands now have to have proper purpose yeah and what Unilever were able to do was sh they shared at this event they shared research um, with the with the delegates which was basically saying that what they have discovered at Unilever and you know they're not a they're not a, a sort of you know tin pot little no, organization they're huge, they kind of they? know they're what they're doing <laughs> yes. um, and what they have identified is that the brands that have got the greater purpose in their portfolio mm -hmm. the brands that are sustainable mm -hmm. the brands that offer to their consumers a sense of why we want to be connected to this brand or why we engage with this brand those are the brands that are not only doing all of this but they're delivering the best business results so there's a so real there's a it's not link. just altruism it's no. not just pink and fluffy nice to have all let's all be you know let's all skip through daisies and you know pick flowers <laughs> well this that would is, be nice too though <laughs> and let's put let's put all these lovely little things in our logo it is actually hard-nosed business delivery, delivering to shareholders yeah. in terms of shareholder returns. So, you know, it, it, it pays for itself. Mm -hmm. And what they were basically saying is, how can you, um, how can you honestly set out to be in a business, a brand that is not sustainable? You know, you have to be sustainable. 
yeah now well yeah um, absolutely. and uh, not in the community you're in and the business that you mm. are but it but it pays in the end as well so. yeah no absolutely so that was cool. interesting yeah he's poised you want your makeup no no, no all right okay <laughs> and i like this thing about building employee advocacy Yes. And using the power of social media. And it, what was the term she used? Glass walls. Glass door. Glass doors. Yeah. Oh, right. A glass door. Have you, have you come across I that? haven't, no. Okay. Right. Glass door is, is really important, actually. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. so, um, so one of the things I was talking about at the, the event I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, which, which picks up on this, is that as consumers, and Charlotte made the point that we don't stop being... We don't become rational robots when no. we walk into the workplace. You know, we are, and as, if we think about ourselves as consumers in mm -hmm. our normal world, we, over the last sort of few decades, what has changed radically is that we're asked for our opinions. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about eBay, TripAdvisor, yeah, Amazon, yeah. anything mm -hmm. that we do, we are asked for our opinions. People want to hear what we've got to say. Um, and we want to tell them what we want to say. You know, we want, yeah. we want to be listened to. For good or ill. For good or <laughs> ill. We're asked our views. <laughs> And we want to be heard. Now, the, when we go to work, we don't suddenly stop. Stop, yeah. Absolutely. You know, we don't say, oh, actually, no, I don't need to be heard anymore. We continue to want our, view, mm. our views to be heard. And so organisations need to pick up on that and realise that. And, one, and, they, and good ones do. Now, Glassdoor, and there are other sites like, other, other sites like it exists, but Glassdoor <laughs> is basically where employees or potential employees can go and find out what people who work at the organisation they're thinking of working at think of it. Right. So employees go to Glassdoor and they tell the world what it's like working where they work, mm -hmm. for good or ill, yeah. to take your point. Um, and sites like Glassdoor are getting a million hits a day visits i'm just trying to think from a company perspective what would you do with that i mean that that's pretty blooming it's, powerful it's, isn't it's, it it's, it's, um, it's hugely powerful mm. and it's hugely powerful for good or ill yeah to you need to be quite again. agile yeah. actually in order to respond to that as an organization then wouldn't you you do because the days of what you're saying then is the annual survey are well and truly behind us even like quarterly pulse surveys and stuff it's if, it's another wet method of listening to employee voice yeah which we talked about last last time yeah we did uh, and joe would talk about from an engagement success point of view so glass door is really really important so it's it's basically I, you know i would say if glass door is the only way your employees get to tell you what they think about working with mm. you then you're you've got a problem you've got a problem absolutely um, yeah because they're not only telling you but they're telling, they're telling the, the whole, whole world, world. Mm. um and uh, i mean it's quite interesting there was some there was some some um reports it was the week before last actually i think the telegraph did a top 10 or in fact worst 10 mm. companies they pulled out some of the worst 10 on Glassdoor to work for yeah um and and there it was national press telegraph did it the sun picked it up um and before you know it these organizations mm. are having their dirty washing aired in public yeah. so double-edged you know, sword you do have it? to take note of it mm. it's not going to go away no absolutely um, but i think you know social media is really interesting from us from a I think it's a fabulously exciting opportunity for organisations of any size. Mm. Um, yes, you know, your big brands are very, very good at using social media, but the beauty of social media is that any organisation can use it as a showcase and actually create advocacy and create loyalty with customers mm. and create connections yeah. with customers. Um, and no one knows on social media, they don't know whether you're a, a small little artisan ice cream maker in Kent or a craft brewery in Bermondsey or a 
Unilever. Unilever. You know, yeah. it's mm. it's the connection that they build, yeah. and that's what's so fabulous about mm. social media. It gives people the opportunity does, to, yeah. to create it's a level connections. Field for really does level the playing field for businesses. I, I love listening to Joe. She, <laughs> she nails it every time. She really does. He couldn't she, help himself. I can't. I, 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 I got to join in because she just nailed it, and she she, she absolutely nailed it with a conversation I was having with someone uh, on social media last night in response to somebody else's post. And the chap, a very nice chap, uh, was a maths teacher. And the original post said, why don't we ask students what they think of the teachers? Well, this guy went tonto about that. <laughs> and I got into a discussion with him. And at one point... That the means a row, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, the discussion went something like this. He said, I'm an expert in teaching and learning. My students aren't. And I said... I think you'll find your students are pretty expert at learning. Um, uh, not my students. And I said, no, you misunderstand. You're confusing what you teach them with what they're learning. They're learning all the time because young people do. That's what they do. That's why they know more about technology than you do. Uh, but at the end of the day, w when you set yourself up like that, I think you're going to fail. And he said, if you had something wrong with you, you'd go to an expert. You'd go to a doctor, wouldn't you? And I said, yes. And if I had something really wrong with me, I'd get a second opinion as well. And he said, ah, but you wouldn't ask a second opinion of other patients, would you? And I went, yes, of course I would. Have you never heard of TripAdvisor? Have you never heard of Amazon? Have you never heard of the 21st century where everybody has a critique of everything? everything. Yeah. And if you want to know whether something's worth buying, having, holding or doing anything else, you ask the crowd. Mm. And he went, well, that's ridiculous. And I said, it's only ridiculous if you're not very confident that you are really an expert in teaching. Um, and he went, well, I'm not talking to you anymore because that's stupid. And that was the end of that conversation. So that's another but, friend you've made on Twitter then? Paul. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm working my way through them. I'm, gra I'm gradually getting rid of them all. But, but, but it, it fascinated me. Here was someone that really didn't understand the concept of, of uh, being reviewed by the very people that you're trying to deliver a service to. Yeah. Um, and it, it just didn't That's see the connection. That's a big mind shift for teachers. Though. It yeah. was the same, wasn't yeah. it? Um, similar thing happened to universities mm. when they started charging. Yeah. Um, it became much more uh, a consumer-based type it's, relationship. It's a customer transaction. Yeah. yeah. And um, and people were saying, oh, hang on a minute. How can you justify this when I'm not in lectures and I'm not, mm. doing, you know, you're, yeah. you're, I'm not getting taught and I'm not. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, yeah. I think there's two. The NHS has... has done this for a long time and the NHS has what they call their friends and family test yes we did and, and it's vitally important <laughs> mm. you know yes. and they take it really really seriously yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. but uh, but I do I mean I think I think we have to all be very careful though as well as much mm. as I love mm. all of this social media I do absolutely love it and I think it's really really important that mm. we get the opportunity to, to to ask people's views we also need to we also have a responsibility I think as as individuals to apply critical thinking to what we're hearing absolutely and not just absorb swallow it, it and whole. swallow no, it no, 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 yeah. and that the person that shouts the most therefore must be absolutely. right yeah. and all of that mm. so we actually have to learn we actually have to learn reasoning critical reasoning and that's not taught going back to schools that's yeah. not really mm. taught in schools is it no absolutely and you, uh, once again as always uh, she nailed it you know you're absolutely right and we were having a conversation about this the other night. I, I, I'm not sure if you were there, um, Fiona, uh, at the Tenterton um, networking meeting. No. We were having a conversation about TripAdvisor as far as restaurants and things were oh, concerned. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't and people were going, somebody was saying, I had a really bad review and it was not fair. 
And I said, oh, I hope you didn't go tonto about it. And she went, yeah, I put them right. And mm, not the way to handle it. The problem is, and, and this is really your point, isn't it, that, that you're going to get unreasonable people that say unreasonable things because it's on social media, it's anonymous, and they're going to moan like mad about anything. So the task becomes how you manage the feedback mm. and how you don't get angry when somebody posts something unfair, untrue, or just, you know, nasty. Mm. So the, this ability to handle that feedback is crucial, mm. which is really... Uh, what your point was really absolutely. isn't it Joe? that absolutely. says you know we've got the feedback but then what you do with it is the is, critical yeah, thing yes. yeah. so I mean for Glassdoor you don't mm. as an employer you don't suddenly go on a go ballistically looking for who said that who was this what was the problem what was the problem what, who I want to know I want to know you know you, you yeah. actually address it in a more rational way but that's, which is that's, like, clearly we've got some issues let's listen that will be an indicator of the culture within absolutely. which you are operating and that will be aligned to the values wasn't sure. it so it depends whether everything's all congruent and or not or as the not. case may be yeah. so what we're going to do now is we're going to listen to the second part of um, Charlotte's interview and see how she moves the, the discussion on so what, what can we learn? What can we learn from consumer marketing? What are some of the things that we can take away and begin to apply into our internal communications and our employee engagement strategies? I think to start That's with the whole That's area, the, the fascinating area of neuroscience and behavioral economics. Big difference between external and internal comms is simply the amount of money that exists in external communications. So external communications, marketing departments, brands have millions to pour into research and development. So as a, as a discipline, as a science, external communications and advertising is that much more sophisticated, but which actually offers an, a, a brilliant challenge and, and for, for internal comms. So neuroscience and behavioral economics, um, they've been used loads in consumer comms. And when you look at, look at neuroscience, you see that the brain, the way it works is the brain apparently applies four filters for receiving comms. Number one, and we talked about it a, a little earlier, is emotional. So people pay attention and respond to communications based on their emotions, their values and experience. Number two is historical. So they filter comms based on their own past experiences and memories. Number three is future, based on their expectations, goals and hopes for the future. And number four is social. So they, they filter comms based on their own situation, including economic status, uh, status family, um, trends and, and traditions. So have a think about, do you remember John Lewis's um, Buster the Boxer ad when he was bouncing on the trampoline last Christmas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And you've got his man, the John Lewis's Man on the Moon ad and The Boy, the Penguin. These are all absolute classic, classic pieces of advertising from John Lewis. And if you think about the Buster the Boxer ad in the context of those four filters, emotional, historical, future, and social, they absolutely, it absolutely ticks every single box. Um, mm -hmm. So, as, as I said, you know, people are still the same people when they work, work, walk into the workplace. Their brains don't suddenly switch to rational robot. You know, we don't leave ourselves at the door, as Kathy Brown is, is famous for saying. So, for how do you turn that into some kind of useful lessons for internal comms? It's about making it personal, make it reciprocal, which means kind of giving something back, make it memorable, and make it simple. Great quote from Mark Twain. I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote one instead. So what it means is that good comms 
they're punchy, they're precise and benefit-led. So you're not going to cut through by including everything in the kitchen sink in your comms. You know, the audience won't get past the first three lines. We run lots of workshops at Woodreed with, um, with clients and, and we ask them to, to bring to the workshop examples of internal comms. And you probably wouldn't be too surprised, Joe, to learn that the emails run to pages. And they, <laughs> they, they stand up in these sessions and they read out their own pieces of work and they've lost the will to live within the first four sentences themselves. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, it, it, I think the big outtake of this is it's kind of like you said, it's not rocket science, but actually in the day-to-day -day hubbub and stresses and pressure of, of, of kind of working inside in internal comms, actually it's, it's easy to forget. Um, mm. Secondly, um, a, a lesson for internal comms that you can take from external comms is tone of voice. So by tone of voice, we mean the brand's personality. So it's the way you come across in, in words or pictures. And apparently, um, we're completely hardwired to pick up intuitively on tone of voice. So think about companies like um, First Direct, Pret-a-Manger, Virgin, they're the, the masters of, um, of tone of voice, actually both internally and externally. We've, we've been lucky enough to do a little bit of work with First Direct. And when you go into their customer contact centers, they are ostensibly airport hangers just filled with hundreds and hundreds of deaths. Yes, the sense of tone of voice that you get, the sense of the brand running through that organization is you can, it sounds weird to say, but you can almost, you can almost touch it. it it's it's yeah. so palpable. Um, and the ex-commercial director actually is well known for saying, guy called Peter Simpson, he's well known for saying, you know, why should you be one brand to customers and another to employees? Um, and, and what you, with internal comms, you, you tend to get organizations that hide behind that kind of armor of corporateness. Um, and we've had clients that say to us that, you know, speak to us, speak to us in a perfectly, you know, human, affable tone. And then they say the second that they put their pen to paper or put their fingers to the keyboard to start to write some comms, they suddenly turn into corporate robots. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and almost like just, it, it's so culturally hardwired in them. I mean, partly I think that's down to audience proximity. I think it, it's quite hard to put yourself and your personality or your organisation sense of personality into a piece of writing when you know that your audience is sitting next to you in the cafeteria. You haven't got that critical distance that you have with external comms. But you can easily adapt your brand tone of voice and use it inside to create a more powerful engaging voice, you know, even if you're a multi-brand organization. I mean, we work with um, PSA Peugeot Citroen, for example, and they, they've got three trading brands and um, we help them define a corporate tone of voice. So at the beginning, they would say, well, how are you going to do this? We've, we've got three different brands with three propositions and three different kind of tones of voice. How are you going to create a tone of voice that for our corporate comms that, that kind of feels like it belongs to all three stables and you know and and, and we did and, and and it can and it can and it can be done and actually now they've been using their new tone of voice for about a year and the feedback that they they've got is that now their internal audience trusts their comms and you know that that's that's, that's such a massive that's such a massive step yeah and then i think we've got the kind of 
the understanding of your audience and consumer marketeers are I mean, they are, they are they, it, audience insight is their absolute lifeblood um they are so sophisticated in their segmentation and understanding of their audience that it's almost becoming an issue now you know just think about all the kind of facebook targeting kind of issues that there are out there at the moment you know they've got so good at targeting they're almost too good but actually yeah. inside in organizations there's still a tendency to lump the audience together just sort of one homogenous lump of people um which is ironic given people are, probably know a lot of the people directly anyway so they're not even having to yeah, rely on research and all that stuff you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're really yeah there's kind of no excuse to it and i'm you probably know i've been seeing lots of stuff about apparently there'll be five generations um of, of, of people in the workplace soon have you have you heard about this kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, you know yeah, the baby yeah. boomers down to gen mm -hmm. z um and they're so distinctly different and if we if we keep lumping them together as one great group and don't think about trying to target messages and, and really understand how these different people want to be talked to and um, then we, you know we've got no hope of raising the profile and, and, and raising standards across our across internal communications um, i've got an example of when we were working for a global logistics company they've got a really cracking employee benefits new employee benefits program that they were really excited about it was going to mean you know lots more kind of exciting things um, available to their employee audience and and what they did is is, is they they ran the comms package that the employee benefits provider had thrown in as part of the deal so it was a whole bunch yeah. of generic, any name goes here, bits of comms that, that, that they sort of shoved up all, all around the place. And then they were really surprised when they got less than 1% take up. And they came to yeah. us and said, we've got this amazing deal. It's such a great package. Why does nobody want it? And so we said, oh, let's have a look at the sort of comms that you're sending out to people. And you realize it had been developed without any sense of understanding of audience insights. And so... Yeah. We worked with them to get a better handle on who exactly it was, you know, how you broke up their audience types and how they wanted to be communicated to, and then developed a new campaign that used employee advocacy in line with their external brand look and feel and included a whole kind of tranche of line manager comms as well. So they could very easily explain to their employee audience the real kind of benefits and, and what they needed to do to to sign up to the scheme and surprise surprise they got the kind of take up that they were they were hoping for mm -hmm. you know yeah carry on so yeah so lots 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 to learn even though some of it does sound like it ought to be a bit more intuitive <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> wow you pick the bones out of that where do we start right the one thing that's uh, really stuck out for me there was the armour of corporateness. I love that in terms of the communication. I can relate to that so much. Yes. In terms of, you've already mentioned the NHS, having worked in for and alongside the NHS for a long time. It, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, people would sit and write stuff and it would be full of words that you understood, but then they would put it together in such a way that you think, I don't actually know what you're trying to tell me here. Mm. And if you're trying to engage me, mm you've done exactly the opposite. Mm. You've just turned me off because yeah. I don't really know what you're trying to say. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, full of jargon and catchwords and mm. acronyms and, mm. and uh, is that the right? Yeah, acronyms. Acro- acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. And mnemonics. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mnemonics. Oh, we love them in the NHS. Mm-hmm. Loads yeah, of them. Absolutely. But yeah, ditch the corporate dictionary. But yeah. you know, it it odd, it isn't that easy sometimes to do. Mm. It's 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 a really odd thing. So I mean, we we work with and have worked over the years with lots of really great copywriters. Yeah. And a great the sign of a great copywriter is that no matter what brand you brief them to write on, they can write to that brand's tone of voice. So they can write a lovely piece of innocent smoothie on pack copy, pure mm. innocent smoothie language, or they can write fabulous first direct, or they could write Barclays. You know, they could mm. switch from brand to brand and use the right tone of voice. Yeah, and they understand that and they can do that. When you brief them to write a piece of internal communication. They almost, they, even though they're professional writers, they very often switch to that corporate yeah. speak as well because that's what we all expect. That's what we all think. Mm. Business writing internally from an employer to an employee ought to be. Ought to look like, and yeah. It, and it isn't. You know, that's not how we engage with things. But it's interesting because I wonder how many of the organisations that I've worked for, because it's predominantly public sector, so we've already mentioned NHS, but I was in the civil service and a number of different um, uh, departments. I don't think we ever employed a copywriter to write our internal no, communications no. or even had an internal communications expert as such. There would be people that, who would be in those positions, but they would be just normal people. Yes. <laughs> you know, they hadn't actually had any sp- specific expert training Absolutely. or had that background. Absolutely. Well, I think I think um, we'll probably talk about that in a, li- in a little bit because, I mean, that is absolutely one of the most fundamental challenges. Talk about it now because we're running out. We're, t- running well, we're, out not, we're not running Ooh. out of time, okay. but we're getting on. We're getting on. Time <laughs> is ticking. Time is ticking, to quote the uh, European Union negotiators. <laughs> I can only hear the ticking off the clock. No whistles No here. whistles. Although there was. Um, eagle, eagle-eared listeners may yeah. have spotted there was a train whistle was, on yes. that last... Um, extract from the interview with, with Charlotte and Joe. I think it was the Romney Hyden Dim Church Railway actually. Did, did. Yeah. Yep. Um so nice little <laughs> bit of local Kent colour for Indeed, us. Yes. Um so no, I think that is one of the biggest challenges for internal communication and, mm. and, and inevitably is going to be um equal a, more of a challenge probably in in, a, in smaller organisations too because in employee facing communications are not necessarily produced by communication specialists they're they're produced by somebody in hr they're produced by someone in it they're produced, they're produced by, by the, the owner pensions department or they're whatever by the owner depends on the size of the organization and they're not they're all very good at their particular skill set mm. but no one said they were going to be specialist communicators no and that's something that we've discovered over the years is a real challenge and actually something that we've we've set out to address with a with a new product that we launched at the beginning of the year but i'm not going to push that oh, um, i will not do that um but yeah that's that's one of the biggest problems that you picked up is that people are not professional communicators by and large we yeah. can all speak we can all write some people can, can speak talk, more than others and some people can speak more than others was that a, a was that your way of telling me to shut no, up no not at all no i wanted you to shut up i've been, been making funny i'm doing things with my hands so people can't see it because we're on the radio so it's like oh but uh, paul's just told me he's now fitted cameras but they're not working yet but Aww. we will be able to go live on facebook soon so you'll be able to see what we're actually oh, doing in the studio oh, I hope, I hope. i'm not sure it's lovely actually <laughs> if i'm being perfectly honest with you i'm not sure it's lovely <laughs> so so you know that's a real challenge um and there's ways to address it yeah um and and as i was saying some of those it's amazing how even the very best writers struggle 
with mm. this because it somehow seems to be stuck in our psyche that that's how you should do things. That's so the, how you should do it, yeah. Good ones get it. Yeah. You know, and we, we sort of make them get it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when they get it, there's a kind of like, you know, scales falling from eyes yeah. moment. Ha-ha yeah. moment. Little yeah. light bulb. Absolutely. Little light bulb. Ahead. Absolutely. Okay, shall we listen to the next bit mm. of um, Charlotte and, and the famous Joe Dodds interview? Indeed. So on that basis, what, what is getting in the way of, of this happening? What, what, why is it happening in some places? Why are people following these uh, areas that you've just pointed out? And why, in lots of cases, is that not happening? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there is, there is Drew, Drew McMillan, and this is kind of the, the sort of overall theme of, of, this, of this interview. Drew McMillan, he's the head of um, engagement and innovation, I hope I've got that right, at, at Virgin Trains. And he had this brilliant quote that, that, internal comms was some islands of brilliance within a sea of mediocrity. And I think that absolutely crystallizes what's going on at the minute. And, you know, well, why, yeah, why every, is everybody not creating really high quality, brilliant consumer standard comms all the time? Well, like I alluded to at the beginning, you know, internal communication is actually the harder job. Um, and there are some real barriers that get in the way of consistently good quality creative effective internal comms so number one is is time pressure there's a massive difference in terms of the immediate often tactical nature of internal communications versus external comms i mean i remember when i used to work in advertising we would have a brief for you know a, a press advertising campaign and we would have two months to work on the campaign when you're working mm -hmm. in internal comms, you've got, what, two hours on occasions to turn around a piece. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. go back to that quote from Mark Twain again, it, it takes time to craft good, concise, well-edited comms. And internal comms is a massively pressurised role, and they simply haven't got the time to craft each piece. Multiple creators from multiple departments. The reality with internal comms is you've got lots of different people in lots of different departments kind of almost like banging out the comms they're all bringing their own individual styles nuances to the pieces and often they have quite varied levels of ability to write and you know always say everybody can write but not everybody can write effectively and i don't know why people who work in in you know it or, or legal should be expected to know how to write high quality effective pieces of of, communi of, of communication you know and i think the, the cumulative impact of this varying quality of the day-to-day -day is actually leaving the biggest impression on, on employee audiences you know and, and actually the worst impact of this is it just becomes wallpaper and then ends up not being read at all and then you're just writing messages that don't even get through and no one's and it's just like a a kind of you know a sort of vicious circle of writing things no one's understanding it you have to write it again and you know apparently organizations waste 17 hours a week on clarifying internal comms towers watson said that works out something like a hundred thousand pounds um per a hundred employees or four hundred thousand pounds something enormous like that Another yeah. reason you've got is the actual the lack of dedicated in-house expertise. When we talk to clients, we find that writing the internal comms is almost it's just kind of a, a, a um, an extra um, it's just kind of an extra role to somebody. So, so the HR the HR department has an intern, and it's the intern's job to write the comms. At lack of budget. So a recent report from BMA Inside that apparently you're doing well if you've got a budget of a hundred thousand pounds or more. 
for internal comms, and that's annually. So compare that to the cost of a full-page colour ad in the Sunday Times is just <laughs> short of 100 grand. That's one page. And so, you know, you're really, you're just comparing. It's, 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 such, an, it's such an unlevel playing field. So it's hard. You can't hire the people. Um, and you can't pay for the external expertise. And also, it, it's often quite hard to get inspired and learn about new stuff when you're working in internal comms. Often it can be quite an insular um, environment. And again, with external comms, you've got lots of industry magazines. You can actually see the ads around you. You can see what's going on with other brands and other companies by simply going and walking around the shopping center and looking at the ads or looking on the telly and watching the commercials. Inside, it's much harder to raise your head above the parapet and actually see the examples of best practice that, that's going on. Um, so they, they're, I think, are kind of the biggest barriers and challenges that get in the way of, of that good stuff happening all the time. Mm, yeah. So what, what are you doing about it in, in Woodread? What's, what's different about how you're approaching okay, this, yeah. given those issues? I, as I said at the beginning, I am kind of on a mission to help raise the profile of internal communications and thereby employee engagement and and kind of really put internal comms as a discipline on the on the map okay so again lots of stuff to pick out of that absolutely and really, you really interest and you really don't want to get on the wrong side of charlotte when she's on a mission i tell you <laughs> oh, absolutely so one of the things that struck me is that what she says about so many people banging out different communication messages and I th for me i i think in the corporates that I've worked at, nobody made sense of all the noise. So there was lots of communications going out, but nobody joined the dots and actually brought it back to support whatever the corporate narrative was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because maybe because there wasn't one, maybe it was implicit and, and you had to kind of find it yourself. But um, Or maybe that's just a, a byproduct of having people that don't actually know what they're doing in terms of writing stuff like that absolutely um, is a, absolutely so so that so the most picking up on that the solution to that and the reason why that can often happen is that the objective mm. for a piece of communication is get this out before close of play on yeah, friday absolutely yeah not the objective for this piece of communication is that i want this audience to respond in this way and to know that they have understood xyz mm -hmm. So if the objective is get this piece of comms out before end of play Friday, then somebody will churn out a piece of comms before end of play Friday, tick the box, done that, job done. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that very often, even if there is an objective, it's an objective that is not thought about with the audience in mind. Yeah. So it's, it should always be, first and foremost, who is my audience for this piece of communication? Mm. Do I need to tell everybody in the company this or not for a start? Because very often you don't. Well, you don't, but very often the the method of communicating with people is send everybody an email. Because then I've done it, haven't I? Absolutely. I've, and yeah, I've, well, I've told I've, everybody, I've, haven't I? I've communicated so they must know. Have. And if they yes. didn't read it, that's well, their that's problem. problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, so first of all, think about the audience. You know, who is my audience? And again, going back to what marketers do, there's mm -hmm. a really simple three three-point thing to remember what do I want my audience to think yeah what do I want them to feel mm -hmm. because we've come back to this whole emotional thing yeah and what do I want them to do and if you, you those are your first questions you ask yourself yeah rather than do I want to get this out before three o'clock on Friday afternoon sure you know and I think um for me the bit that perhaps would be missing the most often is what do I want them to feel mm -hmm. because normally something would come out blah 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 
do this. Yes. And yes. and that's it. Yes. Get on with it. Yes. And yet, if we if we address what we want them to feel, mm. it's because we're remembering that that's about emotional engagement. Yes. And yes. emotional engagement is four times more powerful at driving behaviour than rational engagement. Mm. So how do you how do you do it then? I mean, it's it sounds oh. very simple oh, when no. you just say, oh, actually, you just <laughs> need to engage them emotionally, well, and then they will they will be four times more engaged. You use uh, your, you use your brand, yeah, your, and that means a tone of voice. So that means having a consistent tone of right. voice. So that means ditching the corporate dictionary. Sure, it means understanding your audience. It means thinking about what you want them to feel. Mm -hmm. um, and and do you think that people know what they want them to feel? Do you think that's a, is that a gap? Do you think? Possibly, possibly, possibly a, yeah. a feeling that that's all a bit pink and fluffy, well, which yeah. it isn't, of course. No. Um, so, so it is about using brand thinking, mm -hmm. and by that I mean well, that's probably another whole another day, but <laughs> not branding. No. You know what? Is, what is your business? What is your business proposition? Mm -hmm. And where do you? What is the purpose that your brand fulfills in your customers' lives? Yeah. And what is the purpose that your brand fulfills in your people's yes. lives? Because they should kind of, they're not going to be one and the same, but they're going to be aligned. Absolutely. Um, and so you, from that, you will draw a sense of what you what you stand for, what you believe in, mm -hmm. um, and how what your organisation's personality is. And do you would you seek to layer that every time you put something out? Would you are there certain key messages you would make sure was, was in everything? It should certainly be consistent. That's what using a, a tone the same tone of voice all the time is about. It's being consistent because So it's how you say it, not what you're it, saying. It's almost. how you, it, it's, yeah. well it's it's but both. is it both? It's both. Because mm. it can't be just, you know, weasel words and, <laughs> and, and nonsense. But yeah, it needs to be delivered in a consistent tone of voice because consistency builds trust. Yeah. So, you know, if you produce a load of communications in one tone of voice one day, mm -hmm. one week, one month, and then other another day you're talking in a totally different way, people won't trust you. Yeah. They don't it's the same with human beings. You know, if we have I I've only met you a few times, but I know what you're like because of the way you speak. Yeah. And I would be really surprised if I came in here another day and you spoke in a totally different tone of voice. I think what the hell's happened to Fiona? Yeah. She's not being authentic. And it's exactly the same with brands yeah, the, and yeah. with businesses and organisations. You know, bra all the brand, all that the word brand is, uh -huh. it's not difficult. All a brand is, is a sort of blueprint for what an organisation stands for and believes in and the purpose it, it fulfils, the, the, the promise it gives to its customers, whatever they may be. And that can apply to any organisation yes. in terms of size or scale or sector mm. or Absolutely. service or product-based. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's about consistency. It's about consistency. Consistent delivery of that promise to your wherever people come into contact with your business. Yeah. Whether they're your people or whether they're your customers or whether they're your prospective customers or your prospective employees. Yeah. Basically. And and about by building that tone of voice, getting your own internal employees to buy into that and then become your advocates. Your advocates, yes. And therefore going on to Glassdoor yes. and saying, Hey, it's really cool to work here. Yeah, yeah. 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 One of the I think it's about the top three sources for talent is your own employees your existing mm. employees it, it's it's up there as one of the top three yeah um so it's really important it is really important really, really yeah important. um and just to, to go back to the nhs a lot of um the problems they have is that very often it's their own employees that are saying oh it's rubbish here mm. it's rubbish here which is why the net promoter score and and the friends and family scores are are so important and were used extensively within the nhs yes 
Yeah. But it's a bit like, so what? Do you know, um, what do you actually do about it? As I say, you need to be quite agile in order to address that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so anything else you wanted to pick out and just flag up from Charlotte? We've got about a minute, a minute, a minute and a bit left. Um, anything you want to just highlight that we haven't I touched would, on? I would, I would point people in the direction of the Institute of Internal Communication. Do you, I didn't even realise that existed. No. Well, there you there are. There you are. Do you know, it <laughs> began in 1947 as the Society of Industrial Editors. Oh, my goodness. And it has evolved through various iterations, but it is now, it's the Institute it's very of scientific Management, wouldn't it? <laughs> and it gives lots of advice, lots of, lots of um, uh, um, insight, and you can join that, and they have a continuing professional development framework on there that helps people to improve their skills irrespective of, of what size organization you are yeah and irrespective so. of role that you've got yeah, within it absolutely I, you know i'd never heard of that absolutely. before oh so. i've, I've learned lots of things today but i've learned that's my major yeah. takeaway well good I'm the institute pleased. the institute of T- internal uh, communication internal communication so joe we are rapidly running out of time thank you very much for coming on it's been a pleasure thank you for it's, it's been really really interesting it's been fun. yeah and even paul's been sitting nodding his head mm. yeah it's like yeah mm. absolutely Oh, he's saying absolutely, but I haven't turned his mic up. I haven't turned his mic up. So uh, thank you very much once again. And uh, normal service will be resumed next week. And then we're going to have a break for the summer. But I'll tell you more about that next week. Uh, So thank you very much, everybody. You've been listening to The People Platform. The People Platform. Let's go, girls.